Welcome to Unyielded, Thriving No Matter What. This podcast is for those who are committed to thriving no matter where they are on that journey. And I say journey because thriving isn't about achievement. It's not a destination. It's about engagement. When we feel like we are energized by our life. My name is Bobby Kaler, and I'm your host. And I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. I mentioned that it's a journey, and you might find yourself anywhere along that path. You may be starting out. You may be moving up within an organization. You might be an entrepreneur, a business owner, a salesperson, or self-employed. Or you may be that person who just feels like something's calling to you, and it's time for a change. My mission is to provide stories that inspire us so that when those moments of doubt darken our doorway, we will choose to persist. I will also provide practical skills, perspectives, and ideas that will help us create the habits of thriving and flourishing. Because at the end of the day, this is all about providing hope, knowledge, and assurance that we can all be more fulfilled and successful if we choose. Let's get right to today's episode. My guest today is no stranger to thriving. He was on the St. Joe's perfect season back in 2003-2004, where they finished the college basketball season as the top-ranked team in the country. They were undefeated. They made it to the Elite Eight, and they were one shot away from the Final Four. He went on to play professionally, and he brings that same winning mentality to his role as a pharmaceutical sales leader. In our time together, he shares some great lessons of what he learned by those experiences and by being coached by some of the country's best coaches. His name is Pat Carroll, and I cannot wait for you to meet him. Pat, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bobby. I am happy to be on with you. Oh my goodness. Pat, I have to tell you, when I started thinking about starting my podcast, your name was one of the first ones that came into mind. So I'm so excited to have you and that you uh, could find time to do this for us. Wow, that, that's an honor. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I was thinking of, Pat, is I don't remember how many years ago it was that we met. I want to say maybe 2014, 2013, something like that. But I was thinking about when that's you right. walked, doesn't that sound about right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But I was thinking about when you walked into that workshop, you know, and I was teaching it and you walked in and everyone's like, oh, Pat's here, Pat's here. And then, you know, you sat down and you, and you opened the book and you're like, okay, I'm ready. And then, and I'll never forget when we did the intros and you introduced yourself and it was all cool. And then you're like, yeah, and I play a little basketball. And then I come to find out like what a vast understatement and humble statement that was. Uh, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a new life now as I've entered into the pharmaceutical sales industry and it's, um, you know, I'm proud of the past, but you know, there's new things to, uh, to conquer now. So that's right. That's right. You're one of those people. It seems like you're successful. No, no matter what it is you're, you're doing, you're just good at it. I've seen you with training. I've seen you with coaching. Um, you've moved up in, in the companies, but why don't you take us back a little bit? Tell us about the perfect season with St. Joe's. Sure. Yeah, Bobby, I'm always happy to talk about basketball too. So we can, <laughs> we can keep this podcast going as long as we need to. So <laughs> You know how I am with uh, sports. It's always a good topic. 
Exactly. So we, yeah, we won't be discussing the Bears and you know some of the. Oh uh, come on! <laughs> maybe we're getting to the Chicago Bulls. I don't know, but we could do that. So, mm-hmm. so but yeah, so St. Joe's. You know, I spent four years there, and you know, probably four of the best years of my life. Um, and it really came down to Coach Martelli. Um, the other coaches, the assistant coaches, were amazing for my development personally. And then, you know, the relationships I had with the teammates and, you know, to this day were with that, um, it was a 2003, 2014, we went undefeated in the regular season, ended 27 and 0 in this little small town school, St. Joe's, you know, at the time we probably had a little over 3000 students. We ended the regular season ranked number one in the country. So you know, it was something when I decided to go to St. Joe's, um, there was a couple people, Jameer Nelson, who, you know, he had a great NBA career. I played with him on a couple tournaments prior to going to St. Joe's. So I know I knew it would be great playing with players like him. And, you know, we had J- Dwayne Jones, uh, John Bryan, Delonte West, um, Chet Stachiotis, Dwayne Lee. I mean, so many uh, great players on the team. But um, I, I just knew it was going to be a good fit from a coaching standpoint and the teammates I was with. And it was a, uh, it was a ride that, you know, signing with St. Joe's, I never imagined we would, you know, go 27 and 0, uh, be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, enjoy the March madness. And um, with that, there was some pain too. We, we were one shot away from the final four as well, oh. but you know, those memories, uh, good and bad memories, there were plenty of them. They, yeah, uh, it built that bond with all my teammates. Yeah, and I have to—I have to admit, I went and I found it was on YouTube, and, and it was oh, that yeah. game, and it was like the final minute, and and it was, and it was cool though, Pat, because like what you sunk the three with what twenty-five seconds left, like that, to put your your team up by one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and the announcer was like, "What was it? I can't. Who are you playing? Uh, it was uh, Oklahoma State, right?" And, yep. uh, and the announcer's like, what were they thinking leaving Carol open on the uh, open like that? <laughs> you know, because it was nothing but net. It was awesome. Um, uh, well, well, I struggled that game. The scouting report would say not to leave me open on the three-point line, but I wasn't hitting on that game. So maybe they had something to it. So. <laughs> hey, but <laughs> you, hit, you hit that one, and that was an important one. It's a big one, though. Yeah, That's right. That's right. Wow. So you said best four years, and I know before you'd mentioned, you know, the relationships that those were some of the things that you remembered the most. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, and what were some of like your takeaways from that, from being on a team that performed at that high of a level? Yeah, I mean, there there were a whole lot of takeaways, um, and there's so many different things, and we can get into regarding mindset and, you know, the practice habits you have to develop. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I think, and, and, you know, I don't want to take the the podcast for, uh, you know, a turn different direction, but I think one of the cool things, when you consider what we're going through right now with this, uh, country with, um, you know, with the protests going on and, um, you know, with just different, you know, the, uh, systemic racism sports were one of those things that, no matter who you were, you know, black, white, people of color, no matter who you were, you had this brotherhood. And when you uh, stepped onto the court, there was no, you know, it, it's almost like it, it, 
you know, it, it never mattered. And the, I always thought of sports as like this, this amazing unifier of, of people. And, and it's, you know, to this day, you know, have best friends on the team that it, you know, no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, you bonded because that was your brother on the court. And, you know, I think now it, you know, looking back when we left the court, um, over the past few months with uh, everything going on in our society, it really opened my eyes to how different um, people's lives can be off the court. Um, and, you know, so it, it's been a humbling experience to you know, see what's going on in the current situation within the U.S. Um, with that being said, it also, it makes you see how special sports can be and how it can bring people together, no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, and, you know, I, I'll take that with me for the rest of my life. I, I love that about sports. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think it is about sports that allows people to come together like that? That's, that's a great question. Um, you know, it, it's a number of things. I think one of them is that when you, when you get a group, especially at high levels, like Division One basketball and, and then professional sports, and you see Olympians, you you have to make it to that level. You have to be passionate about your sport. You're not going to make it to those levels if if you're not putting in the practice time, the dedication, the perseverance, overcoming obstacles. You won't make it at those levels if you don't have that. So I think that's one, just having that passion. And I think the other thing, you know, since I've been in the corporate world as well, sometimes your goals that you have on a daily basis can become very fuzzy sometimes. And with sports, you have a scoreboard every time you step onto the court for a game yeah. and your goals, for the most part, are very clear cut of what you're trying to accomplish as a team. And the feedback you get is immediate. You know, you know, you <laughs> yeah. guys are either playing well, you're playing bad or somewhere in between, but the feedback is immediate. So, um, you know, I, I love the research of, of flow with Mihai, Csikszentmihalyi and and I think a lot of that is so um, apparent in sports. And that's part of the reason why I think that teams can come together because goals are so clear. You're passionate about what you're doing. And, uh, you know, that leads to a lot of uh, camaraderie. Yeah. I think the clear goals, I mean, of course, being passionate, you know, that's something that always resonates with me. But when you said that about sometimes our goals in, in daily life, they can kind of be fuzzy. But yet when you're playing sports, you know, I mean, you, you are getting that immediate feedback. Um, I -hmm. think there's something really powerful about that. Yeah, totally. Because it's, you know, the, the, uh, you know, most people have that eight hour work day and, you know, for some of us, it can be 10 or 12 hours, but you know, it's, uh, I, I always appreciated with, with basketball, you know, you might have a three hour practice and you might be a little bit early, a little bit later after that three hours, but it's, it's more intense. It's more focused in that time. And, and you normally do have clear goals. So. Yeah. Yeah. So what were some of the things that you learned maybe about teamwork and preparing to win, adapting to change? What are, what were some of your takeaways in those areas as well? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, you know, again, with the theme being sports, I mean, it's, there's no better example. I think you can pull, um, that you have to lean on each other as far as the teamwork goes within sports. Um, a couple of the things would always 
speak to, you know, I, I coached some of the youth teams, but some of the experience I got from my time at St. Joe's and playing professional basketball. Um, number one is, you know, having that trust factor when you're trying to build a team, you're trying to build um, camaraderie and um, from the very beginning, how you make those connections with one with one another is just, it's huge. Um, people embracing their role is, you know, another thing to build that, that teamwork. And then I'd say the last thing is setting the example. And, you know, I think it's easy when you look at teams, you have, you know, with our, with our team at St. Joe's, we had two first round NBA draft picks. We had Dwayne Jones who played in the NBA and many other good players as well. And then the rest of us kind of filled in as, as role players, you know, we all knew our role. It was clear, but, um, thing I appreciated too is we had walk-ons we had uh one walk-on named Rob Hartshorn another named Rob Sullivan that when you think about these guys they go into practice they have to do every single practice that a scholarship player does they have to do every preseason workout they have to do every you know they never miss a beat and have to go through all the grueling workouts and sacrifices that every other scholarship player on the team has to do but yet they came in with this positive attitude. They brought the energy, they lifted up the team. And, and I think when, like, when you think of the mindset of, you know, some people have the mindset that they have to go to the practice or they have to go to the work. And then others come in with that mindset of, I get to come to practice and I get to come to work. I think, you know, looking at the, the walk-ons that I had the experience, you know, you know, was fortunate to practice with, they exuded that mindset better than anybody else um, because they were grateful to be on the team and, and the energy and the attitude they brought every day, um, it lifted all of us up. Yeah. I hear a lot of good things there. The last thing you said about that, the, the have to mindset versus the get to mindset. I mean, that changes, it completely changes the way that I think we approach things. Like, you know, I think about myself, you know, way, way back in 2003, I got, I got really, really sick. And, um, I, I, it was a 10 year journey back to health. And before getting sick, it was always like, Oh, I have to work out today. And then when I was sick and I couldn't work out, it was like, I wanted to so bad. So now every day it's like, Oh, I get to work out today. I, I, I get to, you know, go for a bike ride or whatever it might be. It really mm -hmm. changes the way you feel about it. Completely. Yeah, completely. Um, and, and I can see that rubbing off on you now with all the the miles you're biking in the in the cross country. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you're doing. You know what? It's like every day it, when when there's snow on the ground, it's like, can I get out and go skiing today? Because because that's important to me. Um, you know, the other thing, Pat, I wanted to ask you about when you were just talking here. You know, you you talked about that lean on each other mentality, and I I love that visual. You worked with amazing coaches. What did they do or did they have to do anything to foster the trust factor and really embracing your role? Yeah, I mean, they, like Coach Martelli and the assistant coaches, they definitely were deliberate in, in the activities we would do, you know, stuff beyond just what we're trying to, you know, team building activities when you go to practice and things. Um, like, for example, Coach Martelli, he would uh, do this um, – this thing every time around the Christmas um, holiday break, 
you know, we usually had a nice week or two where you didn't have games, but we're practicing throughout. But it was one of the most memorable experiences I had. Um, he would take our team. Uh, we all had a, a certain money limit. It could be, you know, $300, $400, $500. Um, and there was about four to five players per group. So we had about three groups on the team. And then your group got to go out to, you know, whether it's Walmart or Target, you know, you go out to a, a couple stores and you had a family that was, um, you know, that could use the help in the local area in Philly. And we got to go out, we shopped for them, we got the wrap the gifts, and then we would go and not just deliver the presents, but we would spend time with the kids. And it, it was such a cool bonding experience that, you know, when you're in a position to help somebody out in the community and there's so many people, you know, especially in Philly that need this help, um, it, it was such a great experience personally. But then, you know, the additional benefits, yes, it, it's helping out the family, but it's also bringing us together closer as a team. And you get to know your teammates on a different level versus, you know, busting each other's butts in practice every day. Um so things like that, he, he was great at just bringing our team together. And it was a tradition that he did every single year. And, you know, those team bonding things off the court, I think, really helped build the type of team we were on the court. Yeah, I could see that. And, and it would go back to the relationship, you know, really, really getting to know each other outside of the, the role that you maybe interact in, you, with each other on, on a daily basis. I'm thinking about, like, sometimes... Mm-hmm you know, when, when we come, well, you went through the catalyst, the coaching workshop with me. And it's interesting to me, you know, managers will come into these workshops and they've worked with each other for how many years, but then through the course of two days, they're like, wow, I had no idea. That's, you know, something that you valued, or I had no idea about that story. And I think that when we really get to know each other, um, well, number one, I think some of the differences fall away and it just, it, it, it deepens the really <clears throat> the relationship somehow. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. And, um, it's funny, like go, going through the training with, uh, with Aslan, which by the way, uh, you know, Bobby, you were one of the, you were the greatest sales trainer that, you know, I've, I've gone through a number of sales training in my life now. Um, the Aslan training that you did by far, and I'll tell you, I'm the biggest advocate when I have, you know, new inside sales reps that I'm working with, um, you know, the lessons you teach in there and always think about the task versus relational, you know, and you would bring up the Simon Cow versus the, um, the Ellen type mindset. Oh, that's right. Um, and it, it's funny because now when I'm building teams, you know, as, uh, you know, within the pharmaceutical sales and stuff, it, it always brings me back where sometimes you want to be so task oriented and, you know, mm-hmm. you have deadlines you got to meet with the client and you're trying to, you know, do everything from the start. And sometimes you can be too task related because you're trying to get everything done and you're meeting your deadlines and stuff. But then you realize, you know, for this team to be effective, you have to, you, you got to be careful and you got to have that, you know, the, the relationship, the Ellen uh, DeGeneres um, side within you and take the time to build those relationships and um, within your team. But it's something that as I'm building my teams, I always uh, keep some of those, uh, those memories uh, from your training in the back of my mind. That's cool. And also it seems like, you know, what you learned from coach Martelli and, and maybe some of the other coaches, like 
it's those are lessons that you get to carry over, which is another thing that I think is so great about sports because they, they carry over into other areas. So, and thank you for the compliment. You know, I appreciate that. So, sure. Well, it's the truth. I'm lucky. I, I, I get to do the thing I love, you know what? And I love facilitating and I love coaching. So I've been blessed that way. Yes. It, that's apparent. It's, uh, it comes through. <laughs> Thank you. So what did you learn about the whole preparing to win? How has that helped you? Yeah. I mean, you know, thinking about the, again, keeping it on the sports theme is the, the preparation you have to do on a daily basis is, you know, not only do you have to put the work in from a, a skill standpoint. So for example, you know, as a basketball player, um, I was by no means the most athletic person, you know, maybe in high school I was considered athletic, but when I got to the division one level and professional level, um, you know, I would be at the end of that spectrum. Let's, uh, let's really? say that politely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was definitely not uh, running the fastest or jumping the highest. So my game was more focused on shooting, you know, okay. anyone that has played with me at that level, it was the, the biggest benefit I brought to the teams was my shooting ability. And, you know, so it was trying to be great in, in any of my shooting skills. So, you know, before coming into practice, you know, if you're there 15 minutes early, it's like, okay, you know, rather than just, you know, spending those 15 minutes and not getting any serious work done, you know, in order to get better, I had to deliberately practice something with my shooting, whether it was working on my form, working on shooting off the move, working on standstill shooting. Um, it was something to, so, you know, trying to develop those habits and, and then allowing them to carry over in, in the business world and in the, you know, the sales world, corporate world, they all translate. So, um, you know, I think that was, uh, that was an important thing. And then, you know, also looking at how my coach is prepared. Cause you know, in college, you're, you're still a college student where seeing how true professionals like coach Martelli and, and the assistant coaches there, how they prepared, um, you know, there's, that's where you really learn. And, um, you know, just looking at coach Martelli, like he had his success routine, you know, we would play a game and he did, you know, two days before a game, we would watch video. We would do scouting reports a day before the game. We would walk through the other team's plays, make sure we knew what to do on our defensive assignments. We would do a foul shooting game called win the game at the end of practice. And it sounds easy. You have to shoot over 75% as a team, but you know, our, our team wasn't blessed with all, all good shooters. And I was guilty myself of missing a lot of foul shots. Um, but, you know, he stayed to his standards. If we did not get it, we weren't going to end practice. And, it, you know, I remember we played Temple, which is a local school in Philly. Yeah. Um, we were practicing there the day before a game and he stuck to his routine. We shot foul shots for about an hour after a two, a two hour practice. We didn't complete it. We got kicked out of the gym, I think, by the custodians in <laughs> Temple. We had to drive back up to St. Joe's. We went back at it, shot free throws for about another hour at St. Joe's, finally completed it. You know, it was probably, I don't know, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. Um, but, you know, it's it's those standards that he would hold himself to. And, um, you know, it's you see what 
people like him that have made it to those levels, what they did to succeed and some great lessons to take from it. Yeah. And what stands out there too is like the discipline of that, right? Yeah. I know. Cause there's times we're like, come on coach, can we just can we stop this silliness? <laughs> come on. We're so close. Let us go home. Yeah. yeah. Isn't wow. 72% pretty good coach? <laughs> Man. But I like how you called it the the success routine. And then uh, when you're talking about the deliberately practicing, it, it triggered something mm-hmm. when you were talking earlier about in sports, the goals are clear. I think in sports too, you know what to practice. If you're in a corporate mm-hmm. job, like in sales or in management or whatever that might be, you know, what do you practice on a daily basis? I heard someone say it this way, what's your free throw? I think it's harder to define that outside of sports. I, yeah, I'm laughing because I, you know, I, I deal with that on a daily basis, you know, personally, and then also, you know, coaching representatives, um, you know, having, that's why I think it, it's so nice having a clear cut um, coaching philosophy. You know, I, I know with, uh, with Aslan asking the gap questions and, and helping them, you know, the representative try to pull out of them what they think the uh, area of opportunity for growth is making sure that they're aware of it. But then as you finish out that, you know, if you're using the six or the six step cycle, um, clarifying exactly, you know, what, what exactly are we going to work on for the next couple of days? And mm. it's just so important because it's, it's uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. No, knowing exactly what we're working on and how are we going to work on it? It's a difference between, hey, go work on, I don't know, throwing the ball or something, and how are we going to do it? It really does kind of break it down. I I know that you and I are both a big fan of the growth mindset. Do you want to share a little bit about the growth mindset? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, So I got my master's in organizational development and leadership, and my final capstone project, the core belief behind it was if we can help youth athletes develop a growth mindset, they're going to develop skills quicker and more effectively, but more importantly, they're going to have a better experience because if we create that mastery environment environment where we're taking the pressure off of, you know, even in youth, youth sports, you know, you, you can be amazed at how oh. coaches and others are so focused only on results. And you know, the amount of pressure that that puts on, you know, think about it, we, we struggle with that, um, you know, in the professional levels, in the high level college, uh, division one levels, but for youth athletes, when they have to deal with that kind of stress, I mean, it's, you know, it's debilitating um, just from their enjoyment, but also their development from a skill standpoint. So, so that's really what it focused on. So Carol Dweck, I, I say that's my home girl. Um, with, She's awesome. Uh, with all her research. So. <laughs> so, but yeah, so something I'm very passionate about and, and having four kids, it's, um, you know, it's funny. My, my oldest Jackson, he's 10 years old and, and um, it, it definitely hasn't set in yet. Cause we, we have our battles as I'm trying to preach to uh, preach to my kids and stuff about the growth mindset, but I, I'm confident that someday it will sink in and, you know, to sum it up, it's it's just trying to stress to them that if you give max effort and have a positive attitude, you're going to see 
the best results and you're going to reach your potential and trying to keep it as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I, um, when I read her book and then, you know, she also has a, I think she also has a Ted talk. That's pretty good too. I'll mm-hmm. reference that in the show notes later if anybody wants to, cause I highly recommend her stuff. But I remember when she talked about this and it was how you praise determines whether someone develops a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. See, I was lucky with this. My parents were really good about this because um, I, I was a pretty smart kid. At least I thought so. <laughs> I, mean, I got enough A's to justify that statement. But my parents would always be like, hey, you studied really hard. I know you put a lot of effort into that. And so they were praising the effort that I put into it versus you know, just praising the outcome. Because then, then you get so tied to the outcome, but praising the effort makes such a big difference. And I thought it was such a, such a simple thing, but, but such a powerful thing as well. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine in, in your world, not just, uh, you know, growing up, but, you know, as, as you coach these managers and stuff of, you know, trying to give them some encouragement and, you know, because I, I remember, you know, going through the training, you're nervous and you, you know, you want to sound good, but you can't have that focus on sounding good or looking good or trying to, to be good in front of others. It's, um, yeah, I, I love that idea hearing that your parents are praising the, the effort and not, not the outcome because it's something that we all battle with daily. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's funny too, because you mentioned that with the coaching, everyone is always so nervous and it's like, but it's all about learning. And I think if we're learning, how can we fail? That's, I love that quote. How can I mean, we fail? Yeah. I always try to stress that and I know everyone's always nervous, but it's, it's just about learning, you know? I mean, you've got four kids when they were learning to walk and they'd fall down. You didn't criticize them because they fell. You said, you're learning to walk. Of course you're going to fall once in a while. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Yep. So now tell me, I know you shared a story with me earlier about um, Coach Martelli and it was the year after the perfect season, and things were not off to such a great start. And in this story, I've been thinking about it ever since you told it to me. Would you mind sharing it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I always get a chuckle with this because, um, yeah, it's um, Coach Martelli. I just I love him to death, and what his, uh, you know, some of the tactics he used were were amazing looking back on it. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, so with the story, when you put it in perspective, you know, the year before it was my junior year at St. Joe's. Again, that's the year we went undefeated in the regular season and had this tremendous run. And then we're going into the following year. It was my senior year. We lost two NBA first round draft picks, Jameer and uh, Jameer uh, Nelson and Delonte West. So of course, you know, the expectations aren't quite as high, but we're still riding high thinking we're going to be pretty good. Yeah. Well, we start the year three and six. So going from 27 and 0 to three and six. <laughs> yeah. Painful. <laughs> you, to say the, say the least, uh, Coach Martelli was not happy at all, to, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, and and obviously something needed to change. And, and with that, um, you know, the, the previous year, Coach Martelli was the national coach of the year. So, wow. you know, beyond beyond just being a great leader and motivator within our team, he obviously has some really good tactics from an offensive 
uh, philosophy standpoint, from his defensive philosophies. And I think we went into that next year of, you know, ultimately doing a lot of things we did the previous year. Um, but we started out three and six, things were not working. And <laughs> so um, one of the adjustments, we, we got off a flight from flying from the West Coast. And I remember Coach Martelli standing at the center court. We walked off the bus. He said, meet, meet me at half court. So, was, you know, the players are looking at each other like, oh, boy, what are we going to be running suicides? Like, what's going to happen here? So he's standing at half court and he's got a, a bat or a handful of trash bags in his hand. And he's looking at us like, this is exactly how you guys are playing, like trash. And oh. <laughs> which was very justified. We, we were. We were playing terrible. Um, but one thing he really pointed out, he said, he said, you guys are playing selfish as a team. And that's that's not who you guys are as players, but you're playing selfish out there. And and then he talked about in practice, he said, when you guys arrive at practice 15 minutes before the start time, rather than working on something and deliberately practicing you know, a shooting skill or whatever else, he said, this is what you're doing. And he started imitating us and he would grab a basketball, you know, dribble it like a, you know, some nut job. And then he's just throwing the ball up the, up the backboard, just proving the point that we're completely wasting our time. Even when we show up to practice early, we're not doing anything to get better. Um, so then along with that, he, well, one of the funniest things, now looking back, it's funny. Uh, he kicked us out of our locker room. And then we, so with that, we weren't allowed to use the showers. We weren't allowed to use our locker room. And, you know, one nice thing with being a college athlete, you get a, you get a lot of gear. Well, in addition to kicking us out of the locker room, we couldn't wear St. Joe's practice gear. Oh, you know, so you can imagine... You know, our team, we're, we're coming into practice, you know, wearing just, you know, random T-shirts and shorts. And, you know, that's one of the perks of being a college athlete. You get nice gear, you get great sneakers and stuff. So, yeah, unfortunately, we could we could still wear the shoes at least. But, <laughs> at least um, you had that, right? <laughs> exactly. So, so he gave us that. But the one interesting thing that came about from this, you know, we spent about a week and a half without our locker room. And we, we were put in to this little box. I mean, literally a box. It was probably 10 feet by 15 feet. And we had up to 15 players jammed into this little box. You know, it was almost like a solitary confinement, you know, where you're all jam packed, but you have 15, you know, players jammed, <laughs> jammed into this box. But, you know, we really were playing as a selfish team. And then I think when you stripped away some of the, the nice perks we had, we started had to look within ourselves, say, hey, something's got to change. And the cool thing, you know, initially we all kind of unified with, you know, we, we were a little upset with Coach Martelli that, you know, he would kick us out of the locker room. We couldn't wear St. Joe's gear. But as the few days went on, we started to unify as a team. And all of a sudden in this little box we were in as a team, you know, we started hanging up posters on, on the <laughs> empty walls. Somebody brought in, you know, their little stereo they had. And, you know, we're listening to music. We're having fun. We're joking around. We're singing. And all of a sudden, a selfish team started to unify. And we started to build this camaraderie 
that for the start of the season, we never had it. And, you know, ironically, we started changing our practice habits and, you know, we started out three and six and then our remaining 27 games of the season, we went 21 and six. That's amazing. Yeah, it was just, it was such a cool story. And the thing I liked about it, it it showed you with coach Martelli for somebody that um, the previous year was national coach of the year. And he had all of his offensive, defensive philosophies and, and everything he was doing that obviously works because he was the best coach in the nation to now hit some adversity. And he had to adjust. He had to adapt. He had to be flexible. And we had to do new offensive sets. We had to do things differently on defense. For example, the year before, we used to be able to full court press teams the entire game. And it was a high speed, frantic pace. But then with our team, one of the adjustments he made was it was a very slow-paced team, and that eventually led to our success. But, um, but I always, you know, appreciated how Coach Martelli, he, he didn't – when things weren't working, it wasn't like you're going to stick your head in the sand and keep doing the same thing. Um, he realized we had to adjust and make, uh, uh, make some changes on the team, and, and he did it right. And, you know, I, I wouldn't suggest for um, – you know, uh, any sales managers, anyone that's listening to this to, you know, strip away your, uh, the company car, or any perks from, uh, from the sales re- representatives. But, uh, you know, there are some good tactics he had to bring us together as a team in a unique way. Yeah. And it sounds like too, the way that he, he kind of heightened your awareness, you know, like, but by the way he was mimicking the way you guys were playing, um, do you think that all of you had that same, like, did you all come to that same realization? Like, wow, we really are playing kind of selfishly or did it, did it take time for people to, to come on board with that? Um, I mean, I think it, he definitely heightened our awareness when, you know, at that team meeting when, when he started mimicking us and, and he was holding the trash bags and he started pointing out the things we're doing, it definitely raised our awareness. And, and, you know, it's one of those things that when you come into practice early and it's just like when you when you uh, start your day at work, you know, how many of us will go to the, you know, to the coffee machine or go to the water cooler and we start, you know, chatting with our coworkers and, you know, it's innocent, but oftentimes you don't even realize how much it can impact your your day, you know, from a effectiveness standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint. And it took him to really point it out, raise our awareness. And, and then we got to work. And, um, you know, so one of the changes he made was going, you know, starting up practice. If you got there early, you would partner up with a partner, grab a ball, and you would just shoot, you know, you know, deliberately practice your shooting before practice started. And, you know, it's a small change, but it's, uh, it's a necessary change to, to help us out. Yeah. And I also love the point you made about his prior success, because sometimes like when we have success in one area or over a period of time, that success can actually, I think, become a barrier to future success. I mean, we always hear this, right? That good is the enemy of great. It would have been easy for him to just be like, hey, this is what's always worked in the past and and kind of rely on that. And I know that we've talked about this because, you know, obviously you love basketball and so do I. But it's something that when I read Phil Jackson's book, book um, Eleven Rings, he contrasted what it was like to work with the Chicago Bulls 
And then with the, with the Lakers, things he never had to deal with in Chicago, now he had to deal with in, in LA. And instead of taking the standpoint of, well, the players are bad, he's like, how do I change as a leader to meet the needs that they have? Yeah. I, I'm just, as you're talking, about, I'm thinking about coaching Michael Jordan in, in the Chicago Bulls and then transitioning to, you know, a team with Shaq and Kobe. And um, yeah, it's easy to look at the talent, but how different your coaching, you know, style and philosophy has to be. Um, yeah, it's it's got to be amazing of how different it's got to be. Yeah. And it's just, you know, if you're leading people, managing people, coaching people, it, it applies no matter at what level. And then now, am I right? Didn't you or you coach some of your kids like different sports, don't you? Or you have in the past? Yeah. yeah so I, I help out here and there. And then I, I coach my Jackson, my 10 year old. I coach his uh, travel basketball team. Oh, my. How does he like so, that being that, coached that, by that, dad? It's I say it's it's a gift and a curse. I'll say. <laughs> yeah. there, there's many there's many great memories and experiences you look and you're like this is the best. You know it's it's great coaching your kid, and then there's other practices or games where it's like oh my gosh, I, how am I going to continue to do this? Either either he's he's quitting the team or I'm quitting coaching. <laughs> Some days feel like that. Um, it's, uh, I will say that, you know, it, it would be completely different. Of, you know, I, I've done a lot of shooting clinics and camps and stuff, and it is a different experience to just coach kids that, that, are, not your, that are not your own. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it, take it as a blessing. And, um, you know, I, I hope uh, when it's all said and done, he can look back and, you know, for any of my other kids that I coach and, they're, uh, they appreciate what I was trying to do, at least. <laughs> That's right. Because it, it, it cannot be easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, as long as we can keep the growth mindset going within them, right? That's right. That's right. Keep it all in perspective. Now, and I have to ask you this, too. This was a few years ago. You told me, wasn't it your father-in-law gave you a ukulele? Are you still trying to learn how to play that? <laughs> Yeah, so I gave it a good run of, I'd say, so my, so my father-in-law lived uh, for a short stint, about six months uh, in Hawaii. He was he was working down there. And so he came home with the ukulele and uh, and, and he, he was a previous music teacher in, in a previous life. And um, so once for sure, he's skilled with, he knows what he's doing with music. Unlike myself, I have, I've never played an instrument in my life. <laughs> so I gave it my best shot for, um, for, I would say about two months I wow. stuck with it, and I could play a couple songs, but it was funny cause I was reading, I was reading the book. Um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank on the author's name, but he, he's the guy from Florida state. He did all the research on deliberate practice. Okay. Um, I'll try to think of his name, but so I was reading that book and just trying to put into practice because, you know, I've always done deliberate practice in a sports world and perspective, but, you know, I wanted to see what I could do with music. So, um, but I could play a couple songs on there and I, I had fun, but it's been a few years since I played the ukulele. So 
<laughs> when you told me that, I'm like, of all the instruments to try to start with, you know, usually you start with the piano or the guitar, some a little easier. I can't even spell ukulele for crying out loud. I, I, yeah, neither can I. So <laughs> I need either yourself or somebody that's musically gifted to give me some guidance on what, what should I start with me? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I am not musically gifted. I can, you know, okay. I can pick out the theme to Halloween on the piano, you know, just a little bit. And that's about as much as I can do, which is really sad. So uh, we're in the same boat. Oh my goodness. Pat, this has been great visiting. Any final thoughts as you reflect back on that experience and the experience that you've had as you've moved up within the, you know, corporate world on what's led to some of your success? Um, I mean, you know, it's one of those things with success is that like so much of it is, is you definitely have the hard work that goes into it. You know, there's definitely a sprinkle of right place, right time um, as well. And then obviously having mentors and and coaches that, you know, have, have led to, you know, most of my success. And, you know, it's the same with, with all the others out there. Um, And I, I think, you know, embracing the the obstacles as well because you know i think on a daily basis just you know professionally and you know having four kids at home it's it's easy to get caught up in in all the stress and the obstacles you face and it seems like every single day is is not going how you want it to go and really you know sitting back being grateful for you know trying to get clear on what what matters most to you and I think when you can step back and, and even if it's just a couple minutes a day, um, you know, some people like to focus on meditation or anything, but taking a little bit of time out of it, just being grateful for, uh, you know, for what you have every single day, um, no matter where you are, if things are going great, things are going bad. I think gratefulness is, is one of the, the biggest things that, you know, can, can make you happy on a daily basis. Yeah. And, um, you know, appreciating those obstacles because, you know, that you're going to you're going to learn, you're going to grow from them and and have fun. You know, the, the journey is a destination. Yeah. And we learn so much about ourselves when we tackle an obstacle. Yeah. You know, yes, we do it. I've yeah. had a lot, a lot of experiences recently <laughs> yeah. where, you know, there, there's plenty of obstacles in there. And when you can try to stay focused on, hey, I'm, you know, as bad as it is right now, as tough as it is, I'm going to come out better on the other side and learn something from it. It's, uh, it's a good perspective to have. Yep, absolutely. So, Pat, if anybody wants to reach out to you to learn more about what you're doing or anything like that, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn is uh, is definitely the best way. I'm I'm not very good or active on Facebook and Twitter, but LinkedIn. You can look me up on there. Is you know whether it's sales or basketball, um, something affiliated with that. I'm always happy to talk any of those subjects. Very cool, very cool. And and you always talk about those subjects with such humility and and, and grace and. Also, from the standpoint of been there and, and, and you've done that and you've been successful. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join and uh, to share some of that wisdom that you have. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Bobby. It's always fun to talk with you and, and catch up about what's going on 
there. And, uh, you know, we have so much in common with our interests. So um, at any point, please let me know. I'd love to chat again. And, and I want to wish you, as you get this podcast um, off to a great start, best of luck. It's, uh, I'm so excited for you. Thank you. I hope that you have as many notes on that conversation as I do. Here are my standouts. One, as a leader, you have to be willing to shift and to adapt. Just because something worked in the past doesn't mean it will work now, especially if circumstances have changed. Two, we need to step back each day and be grateful for what we have and to get clear on what's most important to us. Three, appreciate the obstacles, because through those obstacles, you will learn and grow. Four, to play at the very highest levels, you have to have passion, because without passion, you will not be willing to work through the obstacles. Five, in sports, you always have a scoreboard, and therefore your feedback is immediate. This makes me wonder about how can we create our own scoreboard for what's important to us? Six, to win, you have to one, lean on each other, two, embrace your role, and three, set the example. Seven, there is a really powerful difference between I have to versus I get to. And when we operate from the I get to mentality and mindset, that's when we put more in, we have more passion, we have more clarity, and we have much more engagement. And finally, number eight, I loved when he talked about Coach Martelli's success routine. Practice the important skills that you need to master in order to be successful. Be intentional. Don't leave, the, leave those up to chance. Again, these are just some of my takeaways. I'd love to hear from you what, what stood out in your mind. If you found this podcast helpful, please consider subscribing and keep listening. Also, if you're so inclined, please leave us a five-star review below. If you know someone who you think would benefit from, from hearing this message, please share it with them. This has been the Unyielded Podcast, and I believe that thriving isn't a destination. It is a process. I believe that each of us were created for a p- purpose because the world needs our unique strengths, our gifts, and our talent. My life's work is to change the world for the better, one life at a time. And I hope that you'll help me do that by sharing the word.